Bionics with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi, and welcome to the Robots Podcast, episode 161. My name is Jana, and in this episode, we will hear from the co-founder and CTO of Exobionics. But first, let's see what's new in robotics with Christine. Thank you, Jana. Amazon is working on what they call Prime Air, where their goal is to get packages into customers' hands in 30 minutes or less using unmanned aerial vehicles. And to move forward in their research, Amazon is asking to be exempted from the lengthy and complex Federal Aviation Administration approval process, citing innovation as a driving factor. Currently, the company is on its ninth generation of drones, which can fly up to 50 miles per hour, 80 kilometers an hour, and carry up to 5 pounds, 2 kilograms of payload, which is enough for 86% of the products Amazon sells. To avoid accidents, the company claims to have developed sense and avoid hardware and software that will allow its drones to automatically avoid collisions, and geofencing, a technology that defines geographical boundaries within which drone flight must be confined and beyond which the drone is automatically deactivated. Dronologista predicts that if the FAA does not grant them an exemption, Amazon will simply move its drone operations outside of the United States. Taihei Environmental Science Center has developed a system that automatically performs water quality testing and can detect bacteria such as E. coli. In the past, this work had to be done manually. The system uses three robots to completely automate all stages of the process, from collecting a predetermined amount of the sample, injecting agar, agitating, coagulating and inverting, to the placement and storage of the culture in incubators. The system can perform tests 50% faster than conventional manual work and can test 100 samples in two hours. All samples are managed using QR codes, eliminating human errors like mislabeling or taking the wrong sample. While the current system is for detecting ordinary bacteria in E. coli in water, it can be designed in a variety of configurations so it could be used for other types of bacteria or various other testing applications. Taihei is marketing this system to certified environmental surveyors and food manufacturers. In the future, the company plans to extend sales to the global market. For more information on drone delivery and robotic automation, visit robohub.org. The exoskeleton suit EXO is a gait training exoskeleton intended for medically supervised use by individuals with various levels of paralysis. It's a revolutionary development that enables people with any amount of lower extremity weakness to stand up and walk over ground with a natural, full weight-bearing reciprocal gait. One of the brains behind EXO Russ Angold spoke to our interviewer Aldro about EXO's development and its potential to change lives. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hello. Can you introduce yourself? 
Yeah, my name is Russ Angled. I'm the co-founder of Exobionics and also president of Exolabs. What is the main goal and motivation behind your company? So at Exobionics, our main goal is to create wearable uh, robots, also known as exoskeletons, that augment human capabilities. Can you tell us a bit about the exoskeleton suit? Uh, sure. So at Exobionics, um, our current medical exoskeleton is geared for gait rehabilitation. So it's a device that uh, enables people that have had either a spinal cord injury or a stroke or any sort of neurological issue to actually stand and walk and rehabilitate again um, when they wear the exo. Can you tell us a bit about what it looks like? Uh, it doesn't look like the Iron Man suit, that's for sure. Um, it, it basically, it's, it's, a, um, it's a mechanical structure that goes around the user, and the structure supports the weight of the uh, exoskeleton device. And on that structure, we have um, basically electric muscles that, you know, in the case of someone that's had a spinal cord injury, um, those electric muscles, or we call them actuators, um, can replace the, the lack of strength for the user inside. And so with that, um, the user can stand up, and then those electric muscles help the user move. What kind of sensors are on board? Uh, there's, there's a variety of sensors on the exoskeleton, um, everything from obvious uh, angle position sensors on the joints so we know all the information about the exo. We have some IMUs, to, which are uh, uh, gyros, basically, so we can tell the positioning of, of the certain segments. We have some foot sensors to tell um, when we're in contact with the ground. I mean, a really good way to think about the exoskeleton is it's a, it's a, it's a robot that is strong enough to um, stand and walk with, you know, 200 pounds, but it, it's not smart enough to balance on its own. We still use the user as an integral part of the system to help balance the, the, uh, the robot. Mm -hmm. So what does the user do when they're in the exo? Um, so the user, there's a couple different ways you can walk in the device. Um, so typically when it's somebody's first session um, in the device, they have a, um, they have a walker and they stand up and there's a physical therapist there that is teaching them what it feels like to stand again and how to shift their weight and move and get that sense of balance. And then um, the PT kind of coaches the user on and PT's physical therapist um, coaches the user on how to shift their weights to enable them to take a step. And then as they do that, as they shift their weight, the, P, the physical therapist will actually push a button to take the step. As the user progresses, you know, and this can happen, you know, in the first session or over the course of the next few sessions, they'll graduate through a couple modes where we'll give the user the ability to trigger the step. Now, with those sensors that are on board the EXO, it won't take a step unless we know it's safe to do so. Um, so we're constantly monitoring all the sensors to make sure that the, the user's in the right position to take a step. And then when the user pushes the button, it will take a step. Once they graduate past that, we can actually have the users just 
position their body just like you or I would. You know, if you stand up right now and you shift your weight from side to side, you feel how that feels and then go to take a step, you kind of lean forward. So we, we know when the user wants to take a step. Um, we can see by their positioning and their weight shift that they want to take, take another step. And so in pro step, the exo takes the step automatically, which is very transparent and very rewarding for the, the users that, um, you know, they're not, they're not pushing a button. They're not doing anything. They're just walking. Mm-hmm. So I've seen in videos that they have audible tones that play for the user. Uh, can Correct. you tell me a bit about those? Yeah, so the tones, um, there's two different tones, and the tones are to help uh, the users uh, hit their targets, their, their weight shift targets, both laterally, side to side, making sure they shift their weight and hit that target, and then um, making sure they hit their forward target. So there's two tones, and the goal is to get those two tones to hit at the same time, and, and basically it's, it's just reinforcement, um, giving our users the feedback of when they're hitting their right weight shift targets. And when, once both those tones hit, then the, the EXO will actually take its next step. And so you can turn the tones off or on depending on what the user likes and how comfortable they are. In the design, I saw uh, that it originally was operating and consuming a lot of power. And you made the choice to make it so it was freestanding and used a lot less power. Just Can you talk right. a bit about that? Yeah, so I can talk a little bit about exoskeletons and power consumption in general and give you a a brief history of where we came from. Uh, Back in 2002, when we started working on these uh, exoskeleton for load carriage for DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, the whole goal was could we make an exoskeleton that could unburden the soldiers, protect them from injuries, and enable them to move. And uh, so that project, in 2004, they had Bleaks, which was the world's first untethered powered exoskeleton, um, which was really amazing. It was six degrees of freedom, all hydraulic, but the Achilles heel for the whole Bleak system was this power supply. It basically had a lawnmower engine strapped to its back to power it. And so um, <laughs> it's probably not practical to have a lawnmower strapped to your back in a hospital setting. Um, so we, we knew power was going to be a big issue, and so we tried to solve the problem. The way we did it was we looked at humans. You know, you and I, we don't get tired when we're just standing there. We get tired when we're doing work, when we're moving, when we're running, uh, when we're climbing stairs. And so we tried to create the exoskeleton structure in a way that could actually support all the weight of the system without burning a bunch of power. Um, because the goal is to make really, really efficient exos. We can't control, we, we don't make batteries, we, we don't make power supplies. Um, we use things that are available to us. So the only thing we can control is how efficient our devices are. So that was our focus, is to make very efficient um, freestanding exos. And then that way, when we're actually moving the device or powering the exo, all the energy is going into real work. Um, and, and moving the devices. And so that enabled us to go from a bleak system that was at five kilowatts down to our current exo device, which probably uses, you know, anywhere between 100 and 200 watts, depending on the user weight uh, when it's operating. What's the battery life of one of the systems? Uh, again, it depends on the amount of activity you're doing. Um, just like humans, you, you don't need as many calories if you're just standing there. Um, so depending on how many steps the user's taking, it'll, it'll vary how much the battery life will last. But in our current commercial settings, you know, in a hospital, each unit gets shipped with two batteries. So they basically can swap out the batteries, you know, every couple hours. And with that, you can run continuously. What do users think of the exoskeleton suit? 
Well, the, the users uh, love the exoskeleton. I mean, to date, we've had over 3,000 different users inside of the exosuit, and those 3,000 users have taken a combined more than uh, 10 million steps. And so, you know, for somebody that's, you know, had a, had a spinal cord injury and they haven't walked in 10, 15, 20 years to get up and walk again is a pretty, is a pretty uh, amazing experience for them. And then it, and it just makes them feel better. It, the, the EXO at the end of the day is all about wellness and making, keeping people healthy um, and helping them rehab. So whether that's a spinal cord injury or a stroke patient that just had a, a stroke, um, they're in the hospital, they need to get up and walking again to retrain the brain. Get in an exo, and uh, you're able to do a very high dosage amount of rehab without getting tired. Um, so it's it's everyone everyone loves the technology, and um, they're starting to find new uses for it, new applications, and so it's pretty exciting times. Where do you see this work going? What are the goals in the future? So you know, our goal is to get a million people up and walking again. Um, and so we really do see this as a, a new bionic uh, revolution. You know, the, the technology's changed so much from when we started. Um, you know, 10 years ago, it was science fiction with DARPA. And now we have real products out there helping people, um, adding value. And so it's just the beginning of this, this big bionic boom that's going to come. So you're going to start seeing exoskeletons appear for medical applications, for uh, military applications, for industrial applications, for consumer and commercial applications. Um, it's it's, it's, it's going to be a pretty exciting, you know, five to ten years. Do you plan on adding additional features to the suit EXO? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we, the team here, the engineers here are constantly... Uh, working on new challenges um, and and thinking about new features and and things you want to add and improve. Um, I look at our you know our products today, even though they're amazing and they're you know, they're helping a lot of people and they love them. In my mind, it's literally like looking at the the you know the first cell phone, the big brick Gordon Gecko cell phone from Wall Street. Um, it's early days for the uh, bionic industry, but there's a lot of room for improvement and optimizing, and um, it's. It's going to be see. It's going to be really neat to see how it unfolds. Do you have any features in mind, like the next ones you'll be adding? Um, yeah, I mean, we we don't like to talk about what we're adding to the devices um, going forward, but I mean, it's it just a good way to think about it is right now our devices are geared for a one hour therapy session. So um, as you start increasing the amount of time you want to spend in an exoskeleton, you got to add features to accomplish that. So. As we start thinking about having our users wear the device for two, four, six hours a day, um, you need to start thinking about um, different feature sets to accommodate that kind of usage. Now, you mentioned the first exosuits being for DARPA and for extending human capabilities. Do you have any interest in returning back there with exobionics? Uh, absolutely. We still um, work with DARPA. We still work on uh, human augmentation platforms. And and the way to think of it is we, we really are an exoskeleton company. Um, and we think it's important to continue the research um, across all sectors, whether it's military, industrial, commercial, and medical, because um, we need to advance the, the technology as a whole, the, field, the exoskeleton field as a whole. 
Uh, we have great partners in those spaces. We have a partnership with Lockheed Martin um, to help commercialize military applications. Um, but we still like to be involved in the technology development because we learn things working on those projects that we can apply to our medical exoskeletons. And we learn things on the medical exoskeletons that we can apply um, back to industrial exoskeletons. So it's really important for us as a company to keep our finger on the pulse of technology and keep pushing um, for those new features and breakthroughs um, across the board uh, to see what we can come out with next. What are some of the major challenges you've encountered while developing the exo exoskeleton suit? Um, so, the, I mean, there's the obvious you know, technical challenges of, you know, making one, I think, efficiency, making the exoskeletons very efficient was our first real breakthrough. Um, developing some of the human-machine interfaces and, and really um, making the technology as transparent to the users as possible, um, that's always a big challenge. But some of the other challenges is just awareness, right? Um, you know, when we started doing this 10 years ago, most of the population didn't know what an exoskeleton was. And so it wasn't until 2007 or 8 when the first Iron Man movie came out that everyone's like, oh, yeah, exoskeletons. We all know what those are. Um, and so uh, <laughs> we've, which was great. And now everyone knew what an exoskeleton was, but it also raised the, um, the uh, expectation level. Everyone wanted to fly in their exoskeleton. So it's, it's been an educational process, kind of educating the public on what exoskeletons are, um, what they do, what their capabilities are today, um, and then, you know, um, working with them on future applications and where we can push the technology. So um, a lot of awareness um, that the technology exists. I mean, we live in it day to day, and so we think everyone knows what exoskeletons are, but it's always surprising to me um, how little known the field is. Are there any ethical or legal questions relating to augmenting human strength? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's some innate human thing where everybody wants to put an exos. Everyone wants to be Sigourney Weaver and put on a power exo and be able to walk around. Um, everybody wants to uh, be stronger. They don't want to hit the gym and put the work in. Um, and, and I think the fact that the exoskeleton is that it's exo, it's external to the human, um, makes people very comfortable with the technology. I think people get really nervous and you start having ethical questions um, when you start going internal to the human and then also things that you can't, so when you can't see it, you can't see the enhancement. And um, if you can't easily take it off, um, I think that's when people start getting, uh, getting afraid of the technology. But right now we don't have any of those issues. People are very comfortable with the technology. Um, they, they're quick to adopt it. Um, it's very obvious what the, the value proposition is. So right now there's no real, ethical issues, legal issues, no real legal issues um, either. It's, it's, you know, again, we're all about making people better and stronger. So if you look in medical space, it's about reducing secondary complication, improving quality of life and wellness for our patients. If you look at in industrial applications, it's all about, you know, protecting the workers from shoulder and back injuries because back injuries is the number one issue for industrial applications. And you look in the military space, it's, it's all about protecting the soldiers from the load carriage. That's still the number two issue for the U.S. Army is injuries due to load carriage. So we're all about protecting people and keeping people healthy, happy, and, um, and able to uh, do their work. All right. We're wrapping up. Uh, what do you believe is the future of robotics and bionics? 
Well, I think we know we, we really hit the uh, hit the future of bionics when you can go down to your local REI store um, or equipping store and buy your go buy your exoskeleton for the next camping trip. So you really can take the kitchen sink. I mean, I think once we get into that space, we'll know that bionics have, have really made it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today. Check out our website at robotspodcast.com for more information, images, videos, and all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Bionics with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.